Ever wonder what the dog in your life is thinking? Well, join me, Liz Murdoch, animal communicator, talking with the dogs and finding out what dogs want people in their lives to know and understand. I've spent my life talking and listening to animals. So if you consider yourself a dog person or just happen to have a dog, I'm here to help you learn how to talk or listen to the dogs in your life. I chat with people too, sharing stories and tips on exactly how animal communication or being a dog whisperer makes an impact at home or when working with the dogs. So welcome to Talking with the Dogs podcast, a place where we uncover exactly what dogs want us to know and celebrate that every dog has a story. This episode is brought to you by Noble Pet Foods. No nonsense, no bull. Go to noblefoods.com, use promo code DOGTALK15, and they'll deliver dog food to your house with Noble. Welcome to Talking with the Dogs. Today we have Marty Irby, who is actually a very special guest. Uh, he is he is a dog lover, but we are talking on this bonus episode about wild horses. And I really hope you'll all stay and listen. I got um, sucked into the horse world, the wild horse world, through a fan, shall we say, of mine who saw a post that I made about animal communication and asked if I could talk to horses. And I said, yes, I do. Uh, what can I do for you? And that led me into a conversation with a horse called Old Man of the Onaqui Wild Horses. And here we are a month later with Marty Irby, who is a congressional lobbyist. He's the executive director of the Animal Wellness Action. He is previously worked for the Humane Society as a senior director of equine um, protection. And one of the reasons I want everyone, including my dog fans, to listen is we can have a concern about an animal, whether it's our dog or whether it's a horse, but if we don't do anything about it, nothing changes. And so while we are talking about the horses, this can still apply to anyone who's advocating for a dog. So. On that note, we are going to switch gears. Marty, welcome. I'm so glad you are here. Yes, thank you, Liz, so much for having me today. Really great to be here. Yes, well, um, th there's a lot to talk about. Uh, you also are working closely with Ashley Avens, a uh, Disney director of Black Beauty. Yes, who's yes. also working on a documentary about the wild horses. So um, tell me, how, how did you get involved with these wild horses, uh, specifically the Onaqui? Uh, I'll let listeners know there's a wild horse roundup is going on all over the country. The Onaqui, it sort of started um, the roundups uh, this summer that when I came aboard and became aware. And so we're going to send people to want more information to save the but Marty, I want you to fill us in on your work and how come we're talking. Well, well, thank you again. And um, just, you know, on background, I'm a lifelong horse person. I grew up in the horse industry. Um, I don't remember learning how to ride. I was so young, but I was told I started riding by myself when I was two and a half or three years old. And I started uh, showing and exhibiting in competitions at the age of four. So all I know in the world is horses, for the most part, um, or I guess the thing I know most about in the world, I would say, is horses. 
Um, but I started working on the wild horse issue back in 2013, about eight years ago. I worked in Congress for a member of the House of Representatives named Ed Whitfield, who was from Kentucky. He represented the western third of the state and was probably the um, single most important leader on equine protection issues in the House of Representatives at the time. I think that we got more calls and emails about the wild horses than any other topic that we heard about. I mean, healthcare, Obamacare, uh, drug addiction, opioids, no matter the topic, we got more about wild horses. And so I handled the issue. So I had probably tens of thousands of communications uh, with different people from all over the United States. Uh, I later went to work at the Humane Society, which quite honestly was not one of my prouder moments in life. Um, they, they have been a bit of a problem on the wild horse issue. And while I was at the Humane Society, uh, I ran the equine protection department, but at that organization, equine protection really encompasses domestic horses and the wild horse uh, issue is placed under the wildlife department. So I wasn't as active there um, as I was in Congress. Didn't really have much, if any, input on the wild horse issue, except when it related to horse slaughter. And, and then they would bring me in from time to time. And about, oh, maybe four or five months after I left working there in 2018, we had started Animal Wellness Action in June of 2018, uh, late June, early July. Um, and about October of that year, I heard about a plan that the Humane Society, along with the Humane Society Legislative Fund and the ASPCA, uh, Return to Freedom, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, and the Farm Bureau were promoting called the Path Forward. And it called for the roundup of over 130,000 wild horses and burros from federal lands over a period of 10 years at a cost of what the acting director of the Bureau of Land Management at the time, William Perry Finley, said would be approximately $5 billion uh, to do this. That doesn't make much sense when you think about the fact that there were at the time 90,000 or so wild horses and burros on federal lands on the range. So those were horses that had not even been born yet that they were talking about. In addition to that, the taxpayer expense was tremendous because the reason that the wild horses are being removed is so that beef cattle can be placed on the land to graze where the wild horses were. Uh, the people who are raising beef cattle, the ranchers primarily on the Western Front in states like Nevada, Colorado, Utah, and other places are paying just pennies uh, for the use of the land that they are taking away from the horses. And so the federal government is actually losing money, but um, they have a big interest in Washington, D.C. The cattle lobby is huge. Uh, the National Cattlemen's Beef Association has long lobbied uh, to reinstate horse slaughter in the U.S. It's not currently occurring due to a de facto ban, which I can get into a little bit later. Um, but this plan, the path forward, has really been ramped up. The Congress ended up uh, following the Humane Society and ASPCA's advice and providing a little over $35 million in additional funding to the Bureau of Land Management, specifically for these roundups and the incarceration of these horses in mass holding facilities. So what you're saying with people listening, that when they say put them in mass holding centers, that means some of these horses, a small percentage are sold, but the rest of them stay in these mass holdings for the rest of their lives. 
And you can go and see these if anyone, you know, wants to see this, but you can just imagine they're just in these holding centers and then either shipped overseas, but that is where they are being moved to. If someone's wondering where are they going? These are actually just holding centers where horses are crowded in together, correct? No, that's absolutely right. And it costs um, a little over uh, about 12 to, let's say 12 to $1,500 a year per horse to keep them in the mass holding facilities. So they are feeding and water them, but the conditions are terrible. They're still out in the heat. They're crowded, jam-packed in there. And they're not in their natural environment where they're supposed to be. So it's a terrible travesty that is being uh, paid for by the taxpayer, unfortunately. And at the end of the day is ultimately a subsidy of the cattle ranching industry. So that's really what we're looking at. Uh, we were hopeful that when the new administration took over with Secretary of Interior, Deb Holland, which oversees the Bureau of Land Management and the Wild Horse and Burrow Program, things would change. She had been more inclined to work with us in Congress than some of the other members, had actually signed some letters to the previous administration regarding the wild horses. But unfortunately, when she was appointed and officially took office, she changed her position. And she said on uh, camera in the House of Representatives, uh, under oath, uh, in a hearing that she was sticking with the previous administration's plan on the wild horses. There were not going to be any changes. So we were completely uh, caught off guard by that. We were not only disappointed, but I'd say disgusted, honestly, because it's politics as usual in Washington, D.C. And we see this a lot. People move from position to position. Um, but I, I've probably never been more disappointed in any member of the president's cabinet than I have been in Deb Holland. Oh. I want people to, you know, yeah. the people with who are new to this sometimes like, well, are trying to make sense of it. And mm -hmm. what I have learned and, and with my conversation with old man and is in making sense is that this was sped up sooner. So what's happened is that these wild horse roundups, you know, so we, for the, for people who don't want, to hear too much politics and I understand, mm -hmm. but for those of us, when we want something to change, we have to go to politics. And so that's why we are having this conversation today to educate people. But what's happened is these roundups have been sped up and they're doing more horses than they've said they were taking. They are suddenly saying we're doing it next week. We thought that there was time and we've had a mass roundup in the last couple of we throughout this summer of 2021 that was unexpected and it's like why are we doing this so quickly and some of the roundups have even been advertised as emergency roundups the horses are there's a drought we have to get them is that a fair statement well there is a drought but that's really not what the underlying problem is so just to to tell you just really quickly uh-huh has occurred the roundups did start under the Trump administration, but when Holland took office and Biden took over, they have ramped up the roundups. Yes. Give them with just a three-day notice or so. Just last week in Nevada, I was getting videos of helicopters chasing the horses and actually physically hitting the horses and knocking them down with the skids of the helicopter. So yeah, they, they were getting trampled. That's going on, being yes. trampled. Yes. And so while there may be um, a drought out there, the issue is not that these horses don't have water. I went to the site of the Anakee Wild Horses in Utah. They had a watering trough. It's constantly pumping full of water. The issue is that because there is not as much water as there was before, 
the cattle ranchers want to remove the wild horses so that the water that does exist can be utilized on the cattle. So right. it's not that there's not enough water for the horses, there's not enough water for the horses and the cattle both. And that's what the issue is here. Yes. So in my impromptu uh, animal communication session with old man. So this woman reached out and I said, let me try. And I said, okay, I'm getting this horse. There's this older horse. And I said, it's like, he's the old man of the group. And then she said, I've got tears. His name actually is old man. And he brought up the water right away. And he said that there's a divide between the horses. There's the older generation, which he is, and he feels he's had a good life. And then these younger horses who are already adapting to the change of the water, which I found interesting because I didn't know about the water. I knew nothing about these horses. And he, I was, have these texts. And I say, oh, he's saying these younger horses are adapting to the water, the change of the water. And the horses, I think it's important to know, have lived for hundreds of years there. Um, on this land. These are wild horses that as we move to cars and such, there were horses that were left and have lived there. So background for anyone new to this, these are wild horses that have lived for hundreds of years. They have figured out where to hide, where to get water, how to avoid fires. Um, They know how to adapt and they are adapting. And there's a group of people out there, including myself, who are becoming activists and like, what do we do? And so again, that's why Marty is here to help us educate. And I want to um, encourage people to listen. You know, we are not trying to blame, you know, Deb Haaland and President Biden. They are choosing to ignore this is, is the issue. And there are people who are saying these horses are protected. And some of this is against the law. And so I want Marty to help educate those of us listening so that we can determine how we want to make a difference. Just like many people have fought against dog slaughter overseas, this is another kind of thing. Do we want horses on wild lands that are protected to head to slaughter? And so I'm going to turn this back to Marty to talk about exactly that, what happens to these horses. Uh, Deb Holland is a decision maker and President Biden is a decision maker. And that's why it's important to know. And Diane Feinstein is somebody who has recently uh, drafted a letter to advocate, but whether or not you particularly um, are pro one side of the political side, you know that. Please listen about the horses and how we advocate for an animal and the animal welfare. And these are happen to be the players that are um, center stage right now. And so that is why we are talking about them. But I want to educate people. I have a background. Um, political science I studied and, and here we are at, uh, I feel a need based on what a horse in the middle of the night, you know, shared with me. And so here we are and Marty, I'm going to hand it back to you to talk about the uh, congressional side and what is being done, what people need to know and how they can get involved. Yes. And, you know, from the political side, regardless of party, it's been terrible for the wild horses, Yes, both Republicans and Democrats. Yes. So- it's not one side or the other's fault in this situation. Um, we're dealing with something that is really strictly about the production of beef and the eradication of these horses for the use of the land. The Congress actually set forth 
in the 1971 Act specific areas, herd management areas that these horses were allowed to live on. They're supposed to be untouched. But what is happening is not only are the federal lands being used more broadly for cattle ranching, these actual specific herd management areas are now too. And when you were talking about Old Man the Anarchy, I was out in Utah for the first time to ever step outside the Salt Lake City Airport. Um, we did a rally on the Capitol steps with actress Katherine Heigl and my good friend Ashley Avis, who's a producer for Disney that we're working on a documentary film with, Wild Beauty, Mustang Spirit of the West. Um, after that rally, we went out to go see the Anarchy Wild Horses. Um, it's about an hour to an hour and a half outside of Salt Lake City. Rush Valley, Utah is the area. And there were a little over 400 there at the time. I actually got to see Old Man in person from about 50 yards away. Some of my other colleagues were fortunate enough to get maybe three or four yards away from him. They were, they were uh, the ones with the camera and, and knew how to do that sort of thing a little better. But you could see that all these horses were fat. They were well taken care of. They had a watering trough. There was plenty of water. The water was being pumped into the trough out of the ground. They had plenty of forage and plenty of room to roam. Uh, it was less than two weeks later that the Bureau of Land Management came in. They rounded up 80% of that herd, put them in holding, and that left about 100 to 120 or so uh, out on the range. Uh, they are supposed to be turning out another 100 that they rounded up back in the herd. I believe they've treated some of them with PZP birth control and maybe checked to see if some of them had injuries and things like that. But the vast majority of the horses rounded up are going to end up in a mass holding facility and ultimately probably go to slaughter in Canada or Mexico and served up as dinner fare on foreign dinner plates in Europe, um, Asia, and other parts of the world where they do eat horses, unlike uh, us here in America, where we don't these days. Um, it's really a travesty because I think so many Americans, I know I do at least view the wild horses as an icon and a symbol of our nation, just like we view the bald eagle. And never imagine capturing bald eagles and doing something with the bald eagle. That would be unheard of. But I think more and more people see the horses in that light. And we are in a situation where it's all about the dollars that have been spent lobbying are really impacting this. The cattle lobby is a huge, huge lobby. They use funds that are paid into what they call a USDA checkoff to actually illegally lobby on some of these issues. And the fact that the ASPCA and the Humane Society and others partnered with them is still something that's perplexing to me. I don't know why, I can't answer why they made this decision or why they chose to promote this plan. Uh, some people have speculated that they wanted to hit the reset button and they want to take the numbers. Oh, it's very clear they want to take the numbers back to the level around 20 or 25,000 on the range that was what we saw in 1971 before the Wild Horse and Burrow Act was signed into law. So, um, you know, it, it's just a shame that we're seeing this and that we are, that we are no question going to see these horses end up at slaughter. The New York Times did an expose in May that actually proved that many of these horses that are being adopted out through the BLM's adoption incentive program are going to slaughter. Uh, they advertise at certain locations that you can come adopt a wild horse They'll pay you $1,000 to $1,200 per wild horse to actually take the wild horse. And then you're supposed to care for it the rest of its life. They're supposed to come check on the horses and that sort of thing. But that's not occurring on the level that it should be. And ultimately, 
kill buyers are just going and picking them up and then turning around and taking them to Canada and Mexico for them to be slaughtered. So they're, they're double dipping on the profits, quite honestly, versus a domesticated horse who might actually not be as well cared for or undernourished, unlike the wild horses, um, would bring half as much as a wild horse that's straight off the range that has never been given any antibiotics, has never been given any of the drugs that end up in the meat that we see and say off the track thoroughbreds. So it's basically organic horse. Right. That's exactly what it is. Organic horse meat. Oh my goodness. Okay. So yes, um, we are shipping our horses overseas as organic horse meat, basically. And I never knew that. Um, so here's the deal. So I am an animal communicator. Yeah, that's what I do. And I, I talked to old man and one of the things he said about, um, what he said a lot was that the land won't be the same. And he was talking about there's minerals and how the horses have actually been good for the land. And I was just, I was trying to make sense of this. And I'm wondering, like, uh, is there, you know, I've looked up and I've found things about mining. Is any of that part of this, do you think? Or is that something that I'm just trying to make sense as a puzzle piece that's irrelevant? Like in, no. in Nevada, is this horse land tied to, like, have they protected that lithium that's there for the batteries? I mean, or, do you have a comment on that? Well, I do think that in many places, the horses have protected the land because they were there. Um, what we're also seeing um, on a much smaller scale than, than what I'm talking about, the cattle ranching, we mm -hmm. are people that want the horses removed so that they can mine. Uh, for instance, Utah is a huge state for copper production. So I haven't seen any specific examples of mining companies advocating to remove the wild horses in recent months or years, but we do know that if the wild horses are removed, that provides a better opportunity for mining companies to go in and, you know, pillage the land and, and remove those minerals, whether it be lithium or copper or whatever the case is. So that is a part of the equation uh, on a, a much smaller scale, I think, than what we're talking about, the, um, the cattle ranching interest. And part of that is because, you know, most of the mining occurs underground. You, you have an entry point, you have an exit point, so they could still mine underneath uh, HMAs where the horses have lived for many years in some instances. Because mm -hmm. they can't because of the type of soil and, you know, the different things that would cause uh, sinkholes as a result of mining. Okay. So in my research of making sense, and I do this with my dog clients is I will get information and then they will typically piece it together and how it makes sense. And so as I've tried to understand what old man was saying, when he was talking about the land and the minerals and, and all being protected in a, in a way from the, by the horses, I found like Tesla's moving there. And, you know, I, there was another company that we had showed the horses and it was like a, um, like, oh, come and work here because you'll see the wild horses. So I'm just putting that out there for listeners that as you digest what we're talking about, because I know some of this is new, like it was for me, that there's different ways to learn more and what's happening with the land um, and, and, and the why so we can get to the bottom of it because it affects people in different ways when something's so new. But I want to ask Marty about... Um, what people can do or what's the plan? Like what's an alternative if we can't get them to, you know, the, some of these horses have been rounded up. They're in a pen. Where do we go from here? What can, what kind of call to action is there? Do we just want them returned back? 
Is there new land they can go to? I've heard of some, the Amar plan. I found that on Facebook. I don't know if, can you comment on either that or an alternative that people can express uh, or support? What do we do with these horses in these pens today? Yes, well, you know, on the Mar plan, uh, I worked with Anthony Mar on that back about two years or so ago. Um, I thought it was a great plan personally, but I just could not seem to get any traction in Washington, D.C. with that plan. Um, so, you know, it's good in theory, but I don't think that we're going to see something like that actually become law or uh -huh. um, implemented through regulation just because of the political nuances that we're dealing with here. And they've sped up the roundups. They've sped and up the roundups, yeah. And, um, you know, personally, I would love to see all the horses return to the wild, but you're in a situation where if you think about this, uh, most people say, well, why don't you just geld all the stallions and turn them back out? Mm -hmm. Not a viable solution because when you geld a stallion, that takes away a lot of their natural ability to navigate, right. to survive, their instincts and things like that. So it's not that they're back on the range and they're just not breeding. They are not the same horse. Their characteristics are different. You can't take a gelding, put them back on the range, they'll die. Mm -hmm. So the easiest thing to do is to implement the use of PZP birth control. If you dart a horse, which, which does cause some brief moment of pain, but is much better than being rounded up by a helicopter and incarcerated, um, you can give that dose to a horse for about $30 per year per horse. After three or four years of dosing the horse with PZP, you don't have to round them up to give them PZP. It can be done from a distance by a dart and uh, with some new technology, even by machine. Um, and after three or four years, many of the mares become permanently sterile. So you can stop some of the production of these horses. In an ideal world, we wouldn't want to stop the production of the horses, but we don't live in the ideal situation. And to me, and most everyone that works with me and the scientists that have been involved in this issue say that the PZP birth control is the best answer, not only because it's safer for the horse, it's more humane, but it's more cost-effective too. I mean, right. about giving a horse a dart three times, four times, let's say that's 120 or so dollars uh, in three or four years versus 12 to $1,500 per year per horse to keep them in holding. You just do the math, it's pretty simple. Um, the thing about the Bureau of Land Management is they have such a culture of um, bureaucracy and we've always done it this way mentality um, that they have resisted implementing PCP for many years. Um, last year in July, we passed an amendment that I conceived um, to provide $11 million to the Bureau of Land Management um, for the specific purpose of PZP. And we were taking the $11 million out of what had already been provided for the roundup. So the, the new money was already there. We were saying, wait, if we can't get rid of the new money for the roundups, let's at least try to take part of it and use it for PZP. We got that passed through the House of Representatives, but we did not get it done in the Senate. And we did not get it done at the end of the year. So we were left with the status quo. And there were actually members of Congress that came down to the House floor, Chris, sorry, Chris Stewart from Utah, uh, and spoke against the use of PZP. It didn't really make any sense. But sometimes what members of Congress say don't make sense. So we yeah. do it frequently. Okay, so we want people 
to figure out who your representative is. If you're doing homeschooling with your kids, this is a great thing to do with your kids about writing a letter, showing how we can speak up for something um, to find out who your congressman is, your senator, if you want to get them on board, there's things that we can do to write a letter because they listen or the phone call. And we will have that information for everyone, how to do that. That's one thing about the PZP. The other is this slaughter, the the anti, the slaughter and shipping our horses overseas. Um, You want to talk about that? If, if somebody's looking for a way, okay, gosh, this is horrible. What can I do? The anti slaughter. um, Let's talk about that. Yeah, so there are a couple of different components on the slaughter issue. Currently, and since about 2008, we do not slaughter horses on U.S. soil for the purposes of human consumption, which is ironically what most of the horses were being slaughtered for. And But some people want to bring that back. I've, I've seen Some people that. want to bring that back. Yes. That's right. Okay, so there's discussion um, about that. The, the way that we were able to stop the slaughter is through a year-over-year de facto ban in the appropriations process, and this is a bit in the weeds, but at the end of the day, uh, before 2008, the Congress was providing about 3 to $5 million a year for inspections of horse slaughter plants. We were able to secure language in the appropriations process that said you cannot use any of this money for inspections of horse slaughter plants, and therefore, because of it being a food safety issue, the horse slaughter plants could not operate. So we have to go through that process every single year. And there have been years where we did not get the language included, but there wasn't enough time for a slaughter plant to open up before the next year came. It takes some time to open a horse slaughter and get the permitting and all that sort of stuff. So time does work to our advantage in that instance. Uh, what that did, though, is that created a situation where all of what we call kill buyers, that are the people who buy the horses and and take them to slaughter, started ramping up their business and hauling the horses over the border to Mexico and Canada, just where they could actually slaughter the horses and ultimately ship the meat to uh, Europe and Asia and and some of it eaten there in Canada and Mexico uh, themselves. But um, we have been working this year Uh, on an amendment to the infrastructure package moving through Congress that would actually make it illegal to ship horses across state or federal lines for the purposes of slaughter to close that loophole that's allowing those horses to go to slaughter. Mm -hmm. We got an amendment passed in the House of Representatives about a month ago um, to the infrastructure package that would have provided for that. Unfortunately, last week, the U.S. Senate stripped that language out in um, a more broad effort, it really wasn't specific to that provision. They, they stripped tons of things out of the bill. And so now we're in a, a bit of a spot haggling over whether we're going to get this provision in the final infrastructure bill or not. Um, as I said, I know some of this is in the weeds, but just explaining what the processes are and, and what's out there. And what these Yeah, I think it's important because a lot of people hear this or they see the videos and and, I mean, Ashley did a beautiful video about the roundup as upsetting as parts of it was. It was, it's just beautiful. I'm going to have a link for people to go see. We took that video, the one I think you're talking about Mm -hmm. on a billboard truck with a screen driving around the white house for three or four days here in Washington, DC. Wow. Get the message across. It it didn't really have uh, the effect that we, we had hoped for. We, we still were ignored by the president, but um, we did use that video and try. Yeah, it's it's just beautiful and and it gets the message across. So the thing is, and and why I want 
wanted to have Marty come talk is that when there's when we want change for our animals, whether you are talking about a dog welfare and guidelines for even groomers on how to groom a dog or dog walkers, the same goes that any of those changes come by working through Congress, you know, whether at a state level or the the federal level. And so I just think it's an important conversation, uh, whether you're a horse person or not, to know about the welfare of animals in our country. Uh, these wild horses are amazing. They do communicate. I had an experience myself, and you talked about that with um, Ashley in an article that I read about how you were amazed that old man stayed with you. Oh, he was amazing. He did. He stayed with us until sunset. Uh, I mean, there's footage that Ashley captured that I've seen it, but not many people have seen it, and it, it will be in the final end product in the movie. Um, that's just fascinating. It, you know, I, I have no doubt he knew we were there. He knew we were there to help. I mean, he was clearly in tune with us, and I still even tear up like thinking about it. I do too. So it, I will it's unreal. Yeah. So some of the things he shared with me, because I went back a couple times, is that he was talking about people wanting to help and that there are people who want to adopt a horse or, you know, send money to this sanctuary. And he's like, some people don't have any business adopting a horse, just like adopting yes. a dog. And I was like, oh my gosh, wow. But it's no, he said, this is what he said. Um, he was like, know your why. And, and that's very common, like in business and, you know, why do you want to do something? But I'm going to put that out there in terms of, knowing our why with the horses, if we want to make a difference and we're going to comment, oh, this is so sad, or you're listening to this, I want you to figure out what your why is and that you can do. You know, I want to do this. I want to do the birth control for the female horses. You know, I want to help stop the slaughter because, you know, I have quote, felt quite despair. Like I can't do anything. You know, I, I talk to dogs mostly, but you know, we got in touch, Marty and I are here we are. And Old man had said to me also that trust that you can only do so much. Like old man feels like he has lived his life. That's the, the message I got from him. He's had a fabulous life, better than many of us on this planet, whether we're a dog or a person. He's had a fabulous life and he's seen it all before. He knows about, he called the helicopters, the men in the sky. And they know, they know the sound of the, the, the helicopters and they've heard it before, but he was concerned about the foals and the younger horses and that they're trying to adapt, but we can help them. And, you know, I've experienced that, you know, just the fact that I'm here with Marty, that anyone listening, I really encourage you to figure out what is it that you can do. Yeah. You may not be able to adopt a horse, but that's what you're not, you're not being called to adopt a horse. Yeah. Can you write a letter or make a phone call with your family. If you're a teacher, can you do it with your students and have them pick what do we want to do? Do we want to send money to one of the nonprofits? The um, Evanescent in Arizona is doing fundraisers. You know, a thousand dollars to them makes a huge difference to save a horse and build fencing and, and care for these horses. There's so many different ways that people can find what works for them. And that is straight from old man, do what you can, and it will all fall into place that, um, we can do something. And so I, I want to say that, um, we are not here today to create despair, but Marty is sharing, you know, as you said, the weeds, of what's in the politics and some people that's a blur, but for others, it's like, oh my gosh, tell me more. Okay. You write a letter 
to Deborah Holland, to President Biden, write to his wife, write to anyone you feel called to talk about it. Share Ashley's video and get educated because you never know who's listening, but you're doing your piece. That is my message from old man, this fabulous horse. They do speak. So go on your turn, Marty. What do you want to say? Yeah, no. Well, I would say something that probably most people don't think about. But since you mentioned this about adopting a horse, if someone is not prepared to spend five to seven thousand dollars a year, you should not be adopting a horse. That's what it's going to take to cost. That's what it's going to take to properly care for that horse, feed and water them, uh, have their hooves trimmed, you know, pay for some vet bills and things like that. So if you don't have five to seven thousand dollars a year to spend on one horse, then don't adopt that horse. Um, that's what I would say the, the magic number is. Instead, you know, if you have two thousand dollars a year, donate it to one of these sanctuaries where the horses actually live. Um, there are a lot of people, I donate several sanctuaries, and I know there are a lot of people who are out there that give, and they may not be able to afford to take care of one horse, but four people go in together, and they all four donate enough to take care of one horse at a sanctuary like that. Those are the folks that are out there that have been doing this a long time, the professionals, they have the property, they have the facilities, and they know how to care for the horses. So that's very important when you're talking about uh, the greater good for the horse. I think one thing that I thought was interesting in this discussion about old man, um, I was not there for the roundup, but Ashley and another good friend, Jen Rogers, who's a photographer Mm -hmm. of horse photo safaris was there. And uh, it was interesting that old man was very well aware of what was going to happen before he could tell he went into the mountains and hid and they didn't, they didn't round him up. They didn't mess with him. They left him alone. Um, some of the others uh, were like that, but some were less fortunate and had not been around long enough to really know what to do. So uh, for those of you who are out there thinking and wondering what happened to old man, he's safe. He's fine. He's in good shape. And hopefully we'll stay that way. Um, I think he's really the patriarch of the herd, if you think of any specific horse. But there are others uh, that have been out there. It's fascinating to watch. Uh, having grown up in the horse world and the equine show world, When you look at domesticated horses, you will never see stallions near each other uh, in an open area beyond the age of maybe about 12 to 14 or 16 months old. Um, So you will see them as yearlings together, but they change. uh, Their hormones change. They go through, you know, the horse's version of puberty. um, And it's a little different out on the range. I was just fascinated with the Anaki to see that you had, uh, in one instance, there were three stallions. I saw one had either probably a rock in his hoof or, you know, a a tendon or something had been pulled, and he had a little bit of a limp. Uh, He looked in good shape, but had this little bit of a limp, and there were two stallions that walked with him on either side of him everywhere, and they were clearly protecting him and looking out for him, and there were other young bachelor stallions who were out there that were playing, having a good time, interacting, you know, six or seven or eight of them, standing in a pond together. So it really shows us the difference between what animals are like in the wild when they're untamed in their natural habitat versus, you know, a domesticated horse like we see today. So I think that's an important thing for the federal government, advocates, environmentalists, animal lovers, whoever you are to consider is that we're not only preserving those individual horses and those individual herds, we're preserving 
that natural occurrence of horses being able to live together in the wild. I have a really close friend. His name is Monty Roberts, the man who listens mm-hmm. to me in California. We've been friends about 16 years, and he spent most of his childhood on the range watching horses communicate. So he understands, like you, their language and can tell you what they're going to do before they even do it. And, you know, it was fascinating to take those principles that I learned from him and see what was occurring on the range with the Anaki because you notice it when you know what to look for. Yeah. Um, and, and this is about, uh, you know, families and, and generations of families. Uh, it's not just about, like I said, the herd. So we're, we, we all talk about preserving different things in the world. We want to preserve the rainforest. You know, we want to preserve ocean life and all these things. This is about preserving that natural habitat for not only the horses today, but for the horses 400, 500 years from now. Uh, I was with a scientist up in uh, Long Island with the Kana Foundation last week, who um, has some evidence that'll be more forthcoming later that uh, horses in North America have been here as long as 12,700 years ago. So when we're talking about just a few hundred years, that may be the case in some instances, but they're not an invasive species. They have been here far longer than what most people realize. Um, they have, of course, evolved and are a little bit different than what they were back then, but they haven't evolved and changed that much when you look at uh, other species and even, even the human race. Yeah, well, that was tied to something else that old man touched on was about when he said about the older horses and the younger horses, and he was more concerned about the younger ones because we are looking at them as horses. Like there's just massive horses. They're all in a pen, but these younger horses are definitely living in a world that old man did not live in when he was two years old. And so as we look at solutions, okay, fine. You know, the world is changing and we're not going to win all the battles, whether it's the mining or the ranchers and, and there other, we do have drought issues. But how can, and this was an old man was sort of pushing on was how can we people adapt a little bit more intentionally that's better in our relationship with the planet and with our country and this land? What can we shift a little bit? And, you know, if if you have a rancher friend, it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of people eat meat. This is not about that. But how can we... um, share the land with the cattle and the horses because there is a benefit to the horses or how, you know, how do we solve this? And some of this we're not going to solve today, but we want to give information and um, stepping stones of what people can do with what they've heard. Um, So yes, you know, don't just look at these young horses as uh, I think what old man would want in his mission in these this this chapter of his life is that when we look at the old the younger horses, how can we help them in a new way that might be different from these older horses, um, whatever that means, because they are going to have a different reality. If we're not going to give the land to the all the land to the horses, what are we going to give to these younger horses, and how are we going to let them live? I, I think I could tell you two things that'll be a little bit surprising for most people to hear. Number one, go see the horses. Ecotourism is a huge industry. The market is growing. These people who are photographers, film producers, and so many others make their living and have their businesses that run from the wild horses. And that has been a very good argument here in Washington, D.C., that when you're rounding up the wild horses, you're not only, you know, destroying their lives in the land, 
you're hurting jobs too, because the jobs that are created by the cattle ranchers don't equate to the same jobs that we see in this other ecotourism market. So go see the wild horses, take a trip. Go, I would recommend the Anakabit, there, there are herds at Sandwash uh, Basin, there, there are herds all over the West. And I think it's something that if you are an animal lover, if you are a horse lover, that even, even if you're not, honestly, just, just to go see them as fast. They're majestic. Yeah. I, They're majestic. They Nevada, are. you can look up new, I think Nevada wild horse tours and they have a map yes. of the different, the different locations in Nevada, all over the state where you can not, ride. Most of the wild horses are in Nevada too. Yeah. So where, and it's a very beautiful, I think it's a four page kind of map brochure that mm-hmm. it shows and where, where you can go and you can stay. So yeah, that's a great, you know, COVID friendly road trip. Yeah. The, the Virginia range in Nevada is a good place to go. I've not been there, but there's a foal named, well, he's probably a yearling now named Irby out there somewhere named after him. Oh, that's good. But, um, I think that's one. I think the other thing is um, there are a lot of people that are going to say don't eat beef. Okay, that's fine. It's maybe not as realistic as some people think that it is. Some people are vegan. Some people are vegetarian. Some people eat a little meat. Some people eat a lot of meat. I would say at the very least, reduce the amount of beef you eat. And when you do buy beef, buy beef that is farm raised from places like White Oak Pastures in Bluffton, Georgia where the cow is not raised on federal lands. Um, they never, they're born and raised on site, they're slaughtered on site, um, and it's going to cost a little more, but it's definitely produced in a manner that would be considered more humane and sustainable. So those are just two things you can do that are very simple um, to help this whole situation. Well, we have a lot of tips here sprinkled throughout this whole conversation. I will work to have them coordinated on my website in the show notes of this podcast episode because we don't want to leave anyone feeling overwhelmed and despair. There are so many good people out there who want to make a positive difference and bring about change. And we have seen many changes made in the world. um, And hopefully this will be another one. Uh, So Marty, do you have any final thoughts you want to add to this before we sign off? Well, you know, most importantly, thank you for having me today. Thank you to all of the listeners out there who have just learned about this issue and who know a lot about the issue already and have been advocating and working to help protect these horses. Uh, If you would, please visit, we have a microsite, uh, Save the Anarchy, O-N-A-Q-U-I, savetheanarchy.org. There's a lot about wild horses in general there, about the Anaki herd, and we're actually amidst um, a, a re, well, let's say a, a makeover of the site to be more all-encompassing uh, to multiple herds and the greater fight of the wild horses. There's an action alert that you can go and utilize at savetheanaki.org, and you can click on it. It takes less than one minute. Uh, to send your members of Congress, both your senators and your member of the House of Representatives, a message. There's uh, a pre-made message that's ready there for you to use. You can edit it as you wish. Uh, But if you don't want to take the time to edit it, you can just click two or three buttons and it'll send a message in and you will have at least had your voice heard by the Congress. And I promise you, every single message matters. I worked in Congress. I know the system that measures these things. And we when something came up from our vote or a co-sponsorship or consideration, we would go in every time and look and see 
how many constituents are on this side of the issue, how many constituents are on the other side of the issue, and where should we be? So it definitely matters. Every vote literally counts. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'm going to let uh, old man have the last word on this because I, you know, I seriously, people who know me know I really do take this seriously. I, you know, I will joke that it's woo woo um, talking with dogs and horses, but, you know, I take it very seriously that because I've seen it too many instances with my clients that it has been transformative. And so uh, I will say that old man would, just as I end with the dogs, what would you like people to know? Old man would say one one thing at a time, do the one thing you can do, whatever it is, and let the rest fall into place, but don't have regrets that you didn't do something. So I leave you with that. Pick your one thing, whatever it is, even if it's just sharing this episode. Uh, thank you, Marty, for not just being here, but all of the work that you're doing for these wild horses. You have many talents and you could be doing other things, but you are choosing to do this for the horses. So thank you. And everyone, thank you for listening. And I will be back next week with some more dog talk. But in the meantime, here's the horses. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. You're welcome. Thank you again for listening, being open to learning, and considering what you will do now to make a difference for the horses, a dog, or however you feel called to do something as Old Man wants us to do. You can go to savetheonaqui.org, O-N-A-Q-U-I. You can look on Instagram for the Onaqui, the wild horses. There's so many amazing pictures. I just want to encourage people to learn what's going on. So thank you again. I'm Liz Murdoch, talking with the dogs. Have a great day.